We're going to study tonight a tshuva by Rabbi Akiva Yosef Schlesinger, a very interesting, one of the most interesting and idiosyncratic rabbinic figures of the last couple of centuries. Both the tshuva and the author are apropos for the season, for this time of the year on the Jewish calendar. We'll see the details of the question in the in his in his work itself. But first, just a little bit of background on who Rabbi Schlesinger was. Kibi Yosef Schlesinger was a Hungarian posik, Hungarian rav and posik about a century ago, 1837 to 1922. He was, on the one hand, not to put too fine a point on it, he was a fanatic. He was a follower of the, of the Chassim Sofer. One of his major works, Lev Ivri, is an elaborate uh, commentary on the Chassim Sofer's ethical will. The, the, he, however, he was so he, he 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 was a vehement opponent of essentially modern orthodoxy. What constituted modern orthodoxy in his time? The <coughs> the Hersheyan German schools of Torah and the Hungarian neologues, the Hungarian modern rabbanim, certainly the reform, but he, but even of the Jewish uh, moderate movements, <coughs> he was fanatically opposed. On the other hand, he's also considered. A, an intellectual founder of modern Zionism. Apparently he became so disgusted with the state of Judaism in the diaspora, he abandoned it and made Aliyah, and he believed vehemently, he believed quite, quite passionately that the future for Judaism was in Israel. And as he went, at, when he moved to Israel, he apparently became a, uh, increasingly in love with the country, with the, with the project of of forming a new Jewish society there, of building, of farming, of buying land, and he became an architect of the of the modern uh, Shiva Tzion movement of the return to Eretz Israel and to, to move Am Yisrael to Eretz Israel to settle to to work the land, to live a healthy and uh, religiously wholesome existence in Eretz Israel. He was a very very idiosyncratic figure. He had a number of fierce controversies. He basically moved in Haredi circles, in the reactionary circles, but he had a number of fierce clashes with them due to his uh, intellectual independence and his, and his uh, lion-heartedness, his, his fearlessness, his, his willingness to just say what his opinion was, no matter who he offended, no matter which, which vested interests he, uh, he, he attacked. And he, he and his works were put in Cherim a couple of times, one of the things he's very famous for, famous or infamous for, is that he believed, this is just a classic example of his idiosyncratic nature, he believed, we, we, we covered this a while back, he believed that the, the mitzvah to blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah applies even on Shabbos in Yerushalayim. We know that we don't blow shofar on Shabbos anywhere today. The Midaraisa you do, Midrabana, they made examiner, they were afraid you would carry the shofar, so they said you don't blow shofar on Shabbos. <clears throat> but there was an exception made in the presence of the Sanhedrin. And again, we, we discussed this uh, a while back, a couple of years ago probably. We discussed his, the, in more detail his opinion, but he believed that even in contemporary times, there's no real Sanhedrin. We could blow shofar on Shabbos in Yerushalayim. Create, there, there were two Shabbosas, two years in a row, Roshana fell out on Shabbos, where he pushed to blow shofar, created a huge controversy between more traditional thinkers who were looked askance at his boldness and created uh, a whole polemic for a couple of years. And uh, various other issues. Also, he 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 held apparently that if a he held he he became uh, this is I guess a halachic point, not really a, not really a uh, not 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 really a Zionist point. But but he apparently maintained that if a if a, that if a man wanted to go to Israel and his wife would not go with him in Chutzlarts, he uh, he apparently maintained that the. That he could marry somebody else. He says that th- th- this created a great outcry in Yerushalayim as well. They pronounced the cherem against him, and so on. There were attempts to pressure everyone into signing on the cherem by withholding money, communal stipends. It created a whole uh, brouhaha. At one point, you know, he, he was creating so much uh, heat and controversy. There was a proposal. There was a proposal that he uh, that, that he moved back to Europe. That that, that, that there was a, that people offered him a position. There was so much pressure on him in Israel that uh, even threats of physical violence. That uh, that that, that there's, a, there, there's, an, there's an alleged an apocryphal story apparently that that they proposed uh, he move back to Chutzlar 
and accept the position as Rav in a major community in Hungary. And he said, his response was, and he was in, he, he was in possible danger in Yerushalayim, he said, better to die in Yerushalayim than to be a king in Egypt, to be a king in Mitzrayim. Better to be uh, in danger of my life in Yerushalayim than to be a rabbi of a prominent kehila, a prestigious kehila, in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in the Golos. He, we mentioned he was in favor of blowing shofar on Rosh Hashanah B'Shabbos. He apparently was a promoter of Tcheles, wearing Tcheles. He apparently wanted to bring the Karim Pesach on the Temple Mount. And the traditionalists were not happy with all of these bold stances. He was quite an interesting figure, as I said. He was a vehement, he was a fanatic when it came to opposing any, any modernization of religion. Yet, at the same time, he was an ardent, an ardent early rabbinic Zionist. And he was uh, incredibly bold on some of his, some of his uh, halachic ideas. And with that background, let's turn, to, let's turn to his tshuva. He wrote a number of different svarim. The, the, the tshuva we're going to look at tonight is from relatively recently published works of his called Shailas Tshuva Shabikiva Yosef Schlesinger. And the question he was asked was as follows. Are we allowed to lie and tell a non-Jew something that is prohibited, prohibited according to Torah law, can we lie, and for diplomatic reasons, can we say that it is mutter? Can we, can we deny, can we prevaricate to a non-Jew to avoid uh, creating a situation of pikuach nefesh? The question was put to him by, he says, a, by his uncle. His uncle was Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Ash, who was, who was, the, who was the son of the Maram Ash, or Meir Ash, from the Gedolim of Hungary. And what happened was, this Rabbi Yehuda Ash had taken issue with something that Rav Schlesinger had written in his Sefer Lev, Lev Ivri, Lev Ivri. In, in his Sefer, in his Sefer Lev Ivri, he wrote in the introduction that Christianity is not so bad, for Christians at least. Christianity is not, is, is not really, is, is not really of Odazara. He quoted the Ramah, that the Ramah says that for that Christianity, they believe in God, they just also believe in two other components to God, they believe in a trinity. In halacha, that's called shituf, where you add, you combine other things to God, you, you worship God, but God and God plus, you worship uh, three gods, that's called shituf. So, Rav Schlesinger, in the introduction to his Leiv Ha'ivri, had, had brought a ruling of the Ramah, that non-Jews, are, they, are, they, are, they are prohibited from worshiping idols, but they're not prohibited from engaging in shituf, they're not prohibited from adding divine entities to their pantheon, and therefore, and Rebecca Emden said that, he said, like the Ramah, and therefore, Christianity is not so bad, it's not, really, it's not really idolatry, because even though it's theologically incorrect, it's not such a bad belief, Jews are not supposed to believe that, but for non-Jews, believing in Yeshu, believing in the additions they have to, uh, to God, is not really such a terrible thing. That's what Rav Schlesinger had written in his Leif Ivri. Now, the problem is that this position is a highly problematic one. Is this really what the Ramah means? So, the, we're not going to get into the whole discussion about what the Ramah means exactly, but the, the Rabbi Huda Ash had wrote to Rav Schlesinger, other Acharim say, that's not the Allah, that's not what the Ramah means. The, the author of the Mil Tzedakah, Rav Yonah Lansofer, and the, the Shah Ephraim, and the, the, quoting his Rebbe, the Chalkas Machokek, a number of Gidali Akronim have said it absolutely is Avodazara, Shituf is Avodazara, believing in a trinity is Avodazara, even for non Jews. That's not what the Ramah means. Again, we're not going to get into what exactly the Ramah said and what the context was, but the, the, essentially the, the charge of Yehuda Ash is that Rav Schlesinger is whitewashing Christianity. He's giving it a uh, theological, theological imprimatur of being not so bad based on the Ramah. It's not what the Ramah means. It's not really the halacha. The halacha is Christianity absolutely is of Odizara, including for Christians, and you should come out and say that, and you should not write such things in your sefer. Now, says Yehuda Ash, I know perfectly well that you know, that, that you know this as well as I do. You know perfectly well that Christianity is of Odizara, for them also. And you wrote this only because of Darkei Shalom. You wrote this to, uh, to appease the non-Jews. You wrote this to try to uh, be friendly to them, to try to maintain peaceful relations. You did it for public relations. It, uh, you, you did it for propaganda. You know it's not the halacha. You did it anyway. Says Rabbi Yehuda Ash, are you allowed to do that? Is that acceptable? And he quotes a famous passage in the Yamshel Shlomo. The Yamshel Shlomo is the classic halachic work of the Marshal. 
And the Yamshel Shlomo has a great, great Chiddush. In order to understand his Chiddush in context, we have to see a little bit of the Gemara. The Gemara in Bavakama is discussing the classic cases of my ox goring your ox, and your ox goring my ox, all the oxen goring, and so on. And the Gemara in Bavakama brings a halacha that if, if an ox of a Jew gores an ox of a non-Jew, the Jew is putter, he's exempt from da- paying damages, he's not liable. If the ox of the non-Jew gores the ox of the Jew, then the non-Jew is chayev to the Jew. That the law of damages of oxen is not symmetric, the Jew is not chayev to the non-Jew, the non-Jew is chayev to the Jew. We always say it depends whose ox is being gored. Says the Gemara, yes, it depends whose ox is being gored. If it's the non-Jew's ox being gored by the Jew, the Jew is putter. If the Jew's ox is be if the, if the Jew's ox is gored by the non-Jew's ox, the, then, then the non-Jew is chayev. Now, just to put into perspective what the Gemara is saying here, Gezelakum is usher. You're not allowed to steal from non-Jews. And in general, Halacha gives the non-Jew many of the same rights and uh, under under Halacha, under Choshen Mishpat, as a Jew does. You're not allowed to you're not allowed to deliberately steal from him and so on. In this particular case of oxen goring, the Gemara makes this invidious distinction that we are not liable to him, but he is liable to us, and that's based on Sukkim. Apparently, because of the sinful nature of the non-Jews, the the the, the, the Torah decided to hold us not liable if we if, if our ox damages him his, but he is liable to us. That's an exception to the general rule that the that 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 Jews and non-Jews have similar halachas. That is what the Gemara says, and then the Gemara goes on and tells an interesting story. It says that the Gemara tells us a story. It says Malchus Romi. The Roman, the, 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 Roman, the Roman government once sent two sardiotas, two officials of some sort. So the Romans sent two sardiotas to the Chachma Yisrael, and they demanded, teach us your Torah. Lamdunu Torahschem. Teach us your Torah. So they learned, they learned the whole Torah. And finally, when they had learned enough Torah for their satisfaction, they gave the following appraisal. The Romans said, all your Torah we concede is emes, your Torah is a great Torah, except for this halacha. This is simply not fair. This is not logical. How can it be that if Arach, so the, the question has to do with how to darshan the psukim, whether it's a legitimate way to darshan the psukim or not, but they said this, is, this we think is illogical and not fair. How, you're saying that if Yorax damages Arach, your putter, and if Arach damages Yorax, your chayev, that we think is, uh, is, not, is, is, is not right, is, is, is not just. And they said that that's not that's not right. That, uh, based on the psukim, the Torah says when when the Torah discusses the oxen damaging each other, it says shor ki gof sharish as shoreyehu. It says uh, that if a shor damages the shor of your fellow man, if a non-Jew is considered your fellow man in this context, then he, then you should be chayev. Then the Jewish ox should be chayev if it damages a non-Jewish ox. He's reyehu. If a non-Jew is not reyehu, then the damages shouldn't apply in the reverse direction either. That if a non-Jew's ox damages the Jew's ox. That's uh, you shouldn't be chayav either. They weren't. They weren't even arguing about fairness. They were arguing about how to dash on the psukim. They were arguing that, however you read the psukim, this is not a consistent. You're you're, you're being hypocritical. You're being inconsistent in how you dash on the psukim. There's no way you can arrive at this conclusion that your ox, if you if your ox damages our ox, your potter, and if our ox damages your ox, we're chayav. It doesn't make any sense. They might explained earlier there, there were other psukim we dash for that, but the Romans couldn't accept this. They said this is this is hypocritical. This is inconsistent. However, they said, we have enough respect for, for you and the Torah in general that we will suppress this in our report. We will not include this in our report. We will, we will report that the Torah is good and true, and we're going to omit this from our report as a courtesy to you. That's what the Gemara says. Tosis wants to know, you're not really supposed to teach a non-Jew Torah in the first place. So why were they teaching the Romans Torah? Why did they agree in the first place to do this? So Tosa says, Tosa has two terutzim. One of his, one of his terutzim is they were forced. The, this was not a request. This was an order. The government says, you will teach us Torah. This is, not an op, this is not optional. So they had no choice. The second terutz was that they, that it was a subterfuge. That they pretended they were interested in converting. They, 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 they passed themselves off as Geras candidates. And they were taught Torah. Says the Marshal, according to Tosa's first terutz, according to Tosa's first terutz, the Romans were, were, were not asking nicely. They were demanding to be taught Torah. So the Marshal says, the Romans were not people to be trifled with. And the Romans were in a demanding mood. 
what were they thinking when they told him this halacha that if we that if, that if our ox damages a Roman ox, we're, we're potter, and if a Roman ox damages our ox, he, he's chayev. What were they thinking in telling the Romans such a thing? Didn't they anticipate that the consequences were not going to be uh, were not going to be uh, positive? What were they possibly thinking when they told when, when they told this to the Romans? Says the marshal. Says the marshal. The the terrorist is doesn't matter. To be mizayif the Torah, to mishana the Torah is yeharig val yavar. A person has to risk his life rather than falsify the Torah. It's like being kofer b'taras Moshe. And the, if they ask you specifically what is the halach in this case, even if even if answering truthfully puts you in danger of your life, if you can evade it, if you can say, if you can somehow not answer at all, that's fine. But to answer falsely is yeharig val yavar. That's why the chachamim the knew perfectly well that by giving this explosive. Uh, explication of the halacha to the Romans, they were risking their lives, they had no choice, they did it anyway. This is the great Chiddush of the Marshal, that Ziofatara is Yeharik Val Yavar. So, the Marshal is not brought on the Shulchan Aruch, it's, uh, Marshal is contemporary of the Shulchan Aruch, it's not, it's not heavily discussed in the early poskim, but it is brought here and there in the Sifri Atshuva, and Rav Schlesinger, this was the question that Rav Yehuda Ash put to Rav Schlesinger, he said, I don't understand. I'm sure you wrote, I'm sure, obviously, I know you wrote this, uh, that Christianity is not so bad for Christians. I know you wrote it as propaganda, out of uh, PR for the, for, the, for, the, for the Christians. You're not allowed to do that. Marshall says you have to give up your life, rather, rather than the Messiah of the Torah. So how can you write such a thing? How are you allowed to write such a thing? Furthermore, the Yehuda Ash said, I'm not really picking on you, he says. I have a general problem. All the Sfarim... All the Svarim, they have all kinds of disclaimers. We're not to- whenever they say anything bad about Goyim, they say we're not talking about modern Goyim who are wonderful and we love them and we treat them like Jews. We're talking about the pagans and the barbarians from thousands of years ago or the Egyptians and the Amalekim and the Canaanites and the ancient extinct peoples. That they, we're not talking about modern, modern Europeans. And that, of course, the Rehuda Ash said, is baloney, is bogus. Of course we're talking about modern Goyim as well. And we do that just as, an, as a desperate attempt to avoid having the Europeans get angry at us, he says. So, that's not, that's not true, he says. According to the Marshal, you can't do that. No matter how pressing, no matter how imperative you think it is to do this, it's Yahari Val Yavar. Maybe it's a Harasha. These were the questions of Yehuda Ash put to the put to Rav Schlesinger. He said, first of all, how can you write that Christianity is not about a desire for Christians? It, it absolutely is, Lahalacha. Second, not just you, how can all the Svarim add these disclaimers for PR purposes that when it says Goy, we're not talking about modern Goyim? Of course we are, and LMI, we do it for Darke Shalom, you do it for Darke Shalom, they do it for Darke Shalom. Not a heter. The Marshal said that the... the Marshal says he can't do that. It's Yari Val Yavar. So how are we allowed to do this? Years ago, my father told me, if I recall the story correctly, my father told me that from David Cohen, of, of Goliavitz brings a discussion about this in his Sefer, as we'll see, Rosh Schlesinger goes through a similar discussion soon, where, if I, if I recall correctly, Ramosha once gave a Haskama on a Sefer, which contained some of these statements about Goyim, which were not strictly in accordance with the stark letter of the law. They asked Ramosha, how can, how can you write such a Sefer? How can you give a Haskama to the Sefer? But it's Ziyaf and even, even though he's well-intentioned, he's doing it to avoid antagonizing uh, the non-Jews, but Ziyaf HaTorah is Yehari Valyavar. So Moshe said, we don't pass it like the Marshal. The Marshal is not the Halacha. As proof, he said, all the Svarim, the Svarim all had these disclaimers, that the Svarim have these disclaimers, that uh, see, the same Kasha, the Yehuda Ash, after Schlesinger, Ramosha brought as proof that we don't pass it like the Marshal. The Marshal is simply wrong. The Marshal is simply not normative. Yes, you are allowed to lie about Torah in order to maintain good relations with the non-Jews. And if I recall correctly, Rav David Cohen said you could you could you can deflect Ramosha's proof and say no. Those disclaimers, everyone knows that they're everyone knows that they're that they're bogus. Everyone knows that they're just a sap to the to the to the to the non-Jews. But so, but so as long as it's written in a way that an intelligent reader will realize that, that it's not meant seriously, that was why they did it. But 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 in a case where the safer itself organically contains uh, material that's not correct, that maybe is much more serious. And even for Darkeshon, you can't do that. As we'll see, Rav Schlesinger is going to go through these types of arguments as we, uh, as we go through his tshuva. I have to mention also a story I saw years ago. I'm not sure where, I'm not sure it's a true story, but they say that there was once a controversy about this, about questions about how Judaism treats non-Jews, and a reporter from a, a non-Jewish or non-religious reporter uh, went to ask uh, 
Rabbi Professor Shaul Lieberman about what is Jews, what, what is the Torah's position? Can, can you save a non-Jew's life on Shabbos? He asked some question about, uh, the reporter asked some question homing in on the invidious distinctions that, 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 that the halacha makes between Jews and non-Jews. And the, the halacha in question was that we do it, we, we do it, whatever it was that we do, we do it for Darche Shalom, even though in principle we, 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 we're not really that interested in helping the non-Jew in this case, but we do it for Darche Shalom. So the, to, to maintain good relations with the non-Jews. So the reporter asked uh, Rabbi Dr. Lieberman, is it true that the, that, that the Torah doesn't really care about non-Jews in this context, and it's only because of Darche Shalom that in principle we don't really care? So Lieberman, Rabbi Lieberman said, no, no, we do care about, uh, it's, not what, it's not what the halacha means, we do care about non-Jews, they're human beings also, but tell them Elohim, and so on, whatever he said. It's, it's, it's not just a question of Darche Shalom. So after the reporter left, the story goes, one of Lieberman's Talmidim said, you know, Rebbe, but it is because of Darche Shalom that, that, that what, you know, she, she, the reporter was correct in, 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 in his suspicions. So Lieberman said, no, what do you think I just did? I engaged in Darche Shalom, and I, uh, and I you know, pulled the wool over her eyes, basically. So that's the question. So the, are you allowed to lie? Are you allowed to misstate the halacha because of Darche Shalom? Marshall says, no, even if it's literally a matter of life and death, you're not allowed to. The, that, that's what he asked for Schlesinger, the, the Rebu Ash, the son of the Maram Ash, asked for Schlesinger, why do you do this? Why do other Sfarim do it? It's Ziyaf HaTorah, it should be Yeharig Val Says Rav Schlesinger, this was my response to, to Rebu Hudash. He says, the Ikaratmiya, your, your question, again, not primarily on me, it's on the Gidole Hadar, who gave their Haskamas with all these uh, major disclaimers. And particularly the note of Yehuda, who wrote himself a, uh, his, his, own, his own text of disclaiming that the halacha was discriminatory, discriminatory toward Jews. Many gedolim, Geone Aretz, the Yehuda's Talmud, the Tshuva Me'ava, wrote an entire kuntras, Pesach Enayim, it's a fascinating kuntras, I, I went through parts of it once, talking about how wonderful modern non-Jews are. Says the Rav Schlesinger, He says, the first point he makes is that, 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 that we can make the following distinction. The Yamsha Shlomo, he says, is talking about you can't lie to the non-Jew himself. You can't directly tell him a halacha that's not true. To tell him a did, the Romans asked the Chacham and the Gemara, teach us Chosh and Mishpat, and the Chacham told them that, you know, that they had no choice if they, if they were directly dis- conversing with the Romans, they had to tell them the truth. And that's us here to lie about halacha. However, in a case where you're not talking to the non-Jew, you're writing it for internal consumption in a sefer whose target audience is Jews. And for Jews, it's not relevant. If, if you, the, the, in the Leva Ivri, the question was whether Christianity is of a desire for non-Jews. It certainly is of a desire for Jews. The question is, is it, is it of a desire for non-Jews? So he says, Manavshach, the target audience of these farm is Jews. We're not marketing these farm to non-Jews. We're worried in case it falls into their hands and they get upset, we're going to write this disclaimer, which is not true. Says the says Rav Schlesinger, that's not our problem. We're not allowed to lie to the non-Jew directly about Torah. We can tell him something deliberately intended for his consumption. We can publish something to him directly that contains a falsification of Torah. But, 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 but we can falsify Torah in our own svarim, which are not intended for, for, for his, his perusal. It's just defensive. If he gets a hold of it, this is what he'll see. That he feels is mutter. We can debate the logic of this, whether this is persuasive, this chilek or not. He compares it to Lefneiver, that, the, that, we're not, that, that if, if he takes it without our invitation, not our responsibility. Okay, I think we can debate whether this is true or not. You know, if, if the concern is that we shouldn't do him the disservice of misleading him, then it's his fault. If we didn't, if we, if we didn't invite him, it's not our problem. If the problem is that it's Chil Hashem of the Torah, to misrepresent Torah, I don't know why it matters whether he was invited or not to read the Sefer. It's still, it's still a misrepresentation of Torah. So I'm not sure why Rav Schlesinger feels that this is such a persuasive chiluk, but this is what he says. Any safer meant for internal consumption, he says, and just we write things defensively in case they get their hands on the safer. That is not a problem. That's something that is permitted, and we don't have to worry about what happens if they get an unauthorized copy of the safer. Even though that's our whole purpose in writing it is in case they do. Since, we're not, since we don't want that, we're not intending the safer for them, they're not the target audience, we're not supplying it to them, we're allowed to write things, we're allowed to, we're allowed to distort the halacha. Again, for Jews it's not a problem, because this halacha doesn't apply to Jews anyway. This is a halacha that only pertains to non-Jews. For Jews it certainly is of a And for non-Jews, they're not the target audience of the Sefer. Therefore, 
that wouldn't be included in the marshal. But again, if Schlesinger says that, 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 that even if this chiluk is valid, this is only a chiluk for the Leif Ivri, where he wrote a halacha about Christianity, which was only relevant to Christians, that we can say this chiluk, that that doesn't run afoul of the marshal. However, he says, sorry? Yes? Yes, yes, so, yes, yes, so, 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 so Aaron is raising an important point that the Rosh Lezinger is claiming that the question of whether a Christian is an Ovedevot Azara is, is relevant for Christians, not for Jews. We're not Christians, so why, it doesn't matter to us, and therefore he says, and therefore he's suggesting that there's no Zia Fatara. The problem is, there are many halachas in which it is relevant to know whether a Christian is considered an Ovedevot Azara or not. If he touches wine, is the wine Asr Bahana or, or, or just, uh, or, or just Asr to, uh, maybe not, maybe it's only Asr to drink. Are you allowed to enter the house of worship? We discussed this uh, a few months ago about entering churches. Some, some posts can distinguish, Ravadia safe, some posts can distinguish between mosques and churches because Islam is not of Odizara and Christianity is. So some of those halachas might depend on whether, on whether Christianity is of Odizara for us. It's actually an interesting question. I'm not sure what the halacha is. When we discuss the issue of entering a house of Avodah is the key question whether it's an Avodah for the non-Jews who worship there, or whether it would be Avodah for us. And that may very well depend on whether it's Avodah for us. Even if it's mutta for him, if it would constitute Avodah for us, it might be us or anyway. So we have to go through all these different halachas and determine which of these halachas depend on whether Christianity is Avodah for us, and which of the halachas would depend on whether Christianity is Avodah for him. But potentially there might be halachas that would depend on, hinge on whether Christianity is, is of a desire for him even, in which case it, it is the Afatara for the Jews. That's an interesting question. I, I'm not sure. I guess we'd have to carefully study the various halachas you mentioned and I mentioned and try to nail down whether any of these halachas depend, d- depend uh, solely on the question of whether it's Christianity for him or whether they really depend on whether Christianity is of, is of a desire for us. The, the Rambam, when he discusses Yaya Nesach, the Rambam says that if a non-Jew who's an Ovid of Adazara touches wine, then it is, uh, then the wine is Asr Bahana. If a non-Jew who's not an Ovid of Adazara, like a Muslim, touches wine, then the wine is Asr to drink, but it's not Asr Bahana. But the Christians, he says, and this was censored out of the standard editions of the Rambam, but it was put back in by the modern Rambams, like the Frankel, but the Christians, he says, are Ovid of Adazara, and therefore if they touch the wine, it's Asr Bahana. Again, I'm not sure, according to the Ramaz Chiluk, between Christianity being of a desire for us and not for, not for them, I'm not sure how that affects the halacha of Yayin Esach. I imagine if it's of a desire, of, I'm not actually sure. If it's not of a desire for them, how would that affect Yayin? I'm not actually sure. We, we, we'd have to... The, the truth is, though, that the, the case the Ramah is actually talking about actually makes your point, because the context of the Ramah is it says that we are... It says that the Gemara says you're not allowed to enter into a business relationship with a non-Jew, with an Ovedev Adazara, because in the course of your commercial relationship, he might, uh, in the course of the commercial relationship, he, he, he might take a Shvua, and he might take a Shvua in the name of Avodazara. So the Ramah says, the Ramah, the Ramah looks for reasons why we are not Nizhar in this, we are not Nizhar in this Bismana uh, Zef, or if we do business with Christians. So I believe that's where the Ramah says his thing, because, because Christianity for Christians is not Avodazara. Christianity is only Shituf, and it is not of a desire. The, the Ramah is in Arachayim, Shulchan Arach Arachayim, Simon Kufnun Vav. The, so the, the halacha is, the Shulchan Arach brings, you cannot, you cannot join in partnership with an Ovid of Odezara because he might be Chayav Shvua and he'll take the Shvua in the name of Avodazara, and you will have been Goreim that he should mention Avodazara, and you're over the prohibition of Veshem Elohim Acherim Lo Yishamal Picha. You're not allowed to engender the name of an Avodazara being spoken, being spoken as an oath. Ramah says, Yesh Mekilin. Because, because he says the the Goyim in our day, meaning the Christians, even though they mention Avodazara, the Christians have a shito of mikalmakom kavanasim laosish shemayim va'aret. They do have in mind the Creator, the actual Creator. They they combine it with uh, with davar acher and lomatzinu. He says and the and the because the Goyim are not matzuvah. So the Ramah is telling you halachalamaisa. The reason you're allowed to do business with a Christian. Is because you aren't being over lo yisham al picha or lufneiver because they're not considered of devadazara. So if that is not really true, if, if 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 that's something that's not true, and so the the, the who say it's not true, they, they have a different hatter for why we can do a different shine of the Ramah, what the Ramah means. But Rosh Lezinger, if he brings down the simple reading of the Ramah, potentially would be would be 
condoning the practice of the Ramah to make a shvul with non-Jews, which might not be true. I mean, it might be true anyway for, for a slightly different reason. Yes, yeah, so, so potentially Aaron's point is a good one, that, that potentially, even if you're discussing the, even if you're discussing the status of, of, of Christianity for Christians, there still might be certain ramifications for Jews, and, the, and potentially there could be, and therefore, once again, it, it, would, it would still be a question of Zia Fatara. That's a good point, and it requires further consideration. Rosh Schlesinger goes on, though, and he says that even if we agree with this basic idea, that might, that might suffice to explain my, what I did in Leif Ivri, where I wrote about Christianity not being of a desire for Christians, he says. But, the, but how does that explain all the other disclaimers in Svarim, which certainly are relevant to halachas, that, to Jews as well. He says that, the, that, 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 those, that those certainly are, that there certainly are halachic nafkaminas to discussing, to discussing, um, to discussing the, that, that Goyim don't have the status of Goyim, that there, there, are, there are other ramifications to that, that there are, there are other implications saying Goyim don't have the status of Avdeva Zara. there certainly are ramifications to that. In Leif Avery, I just said that they're not guilty. They're not guilty of uh, Adizara by, do, by doing the by doing shituf. That was a more narrow halacha. That's only relevant to them. But, but the general thing that the the general thing that they're not they're not Adizara, that has other ramifications. He says, of course, there's other ramifications. So all the svarim we have this problem again. How can the svarim write these disclaimers? It should be considered ziyafatar. Says or Schlesinger. This is the svar that I believe my father uh, told me the name of David Cohen a century later. He says, We have to say that the Jews, the Jews know these disclaimers were phony and were not meant to be taken seriously. And it was just meant to get, to, to avoid having, having them start, initiate pogroms and murder and so on, Rahman al-Litzlan. Everyone knows that these disclaimers are bogus and lo and there is no danger of anyone mistaking the halacha. The truth is, that's not, an, that, that's an interesting idea. It's not entirely satisfying because there are cases Scholars have turned up, I've turned up, scholars have turned up. There are interesting cases where the halacha actually did become distorted because of sometimes these ambiguous disclaimers. There are a number of cases where either debate exists or whether people post can make mistakes about misinterpreting some of these disclaimers as real. One of the questions involves the Aruch HaShulchan. The Aruch HaShulchan didn't just add disclaimers in a different font, in a different weighted font on the margin of the page. Aruch HaShulchan integrates all kinds of halachas about the, the wonderful modern Russian and European Gentiles of our day, they're upright and honest and decent and a whole bunch of halachas and various halachim of Shulchan Aruch, he, he claims don't apply to our non-Jews. And he doesn't just write it as a little disclaimer, he integrates it uh, into the fabric of the halacha, and Postkum actually debates whether he really meant it or not, whether he really meant those things or not. Postkum was still arguing about it. The, one of the things that the Tzitzli has, the, one of the things Aruch HaShulchan says is that the terrible Chomer of Mesira, the terrible Avera of Turning, turning Jews over to the enemy, to the non-Jews, he said it doesn't apply because that applied in earlier times where the non-Jews were barbarians and ruthless and murderers and, and today where, where they're civilized and the rule of law and so on, today the, the stringency of Mesira might not be much like Atchila, but the, stringent, the stringency of Mesira doesn't apply. Some posts can say he really meant that. Tzitzeliezer says he really meant that because he doesn't just say that, that, that it doesn't apply to his wonderful enlightened majesty, the Tsar, it doesn't apply, he says, to in England and other European countries besides Russia. So if you wanted to flatter the Tsar, he says, who asked him to stop talking about England and other countries. When I was in Lakewood, my Rosh, my Rosh Chabura was an Englishman who had, who had, who had come, moved here from England. And when I showed him this, this Tzitzeliezer, he snorted, he laughed. He says, no, he says, we, we all learned English history. They were all cousins. They, they were all friends and cousins, he says. Part of flattering the Tsar was talking about his wonderful, enlightened cousin who sat on the throne in England and France and wherever, he says. It was all part of the same. It was one big, incestuous royal family. And, uh, and that was all part of flattering the Tsar. There, there's no proof from that. But anyway, the point is that the halachic minds today are still arguing about, about what the Archashulchan meant. So if you say that, he, assuming he didn't mean it, he did a very good job in fooling great postkin like the Tzitzeliezer. So you can't just say he... Ind- so it, if, if you say the whole justification is that they knew that all these disclaimers were bogus, well, sometimes the disclaimers actually made it into the halacha and were taken seriously. Professor Mark Shapiro has a couple of examples like this. There, there, are, uh, there are a handful of cases where the disclaimers were written artfully enough or became inserted in the main text, whatever happened, that there actually are cases where the disclaimers uh, were misinterpreted. Okay, but this is where Schlesinger said that, that, that even if we accept the marshal as being normative, we can justify the disclaimers, even the ones that were written for the benefit of Jews, 
that had that, that were rel- even the ones that were relevant to Jews as well by saying that they were they were meant to be transparent and clearly understood by anyone reading them as uh, as PR and not as serious halach. Okay. Then Rosh Lezinger goes on and he says, "This is all if we accept the Yamshal Shlomo. We accept the Marshal as halacha. I'm not sure the Marshal is right at all." He says. I think the mashal is very problematic. This is an old question. My, my father was always interested in this topic. Chazal say there are three things that are Yaharik Valyavra. There are exactly three Averis in the Torah. Count them. One, two, three. Avodazara, idol worship, Gili Arayos, sexual immorality, Shvichas Damim, murder. There are three Averis that are Yaharik Valyavra. What gives us the right to add a fourth one? Mashal is adding a fourth one and lying, the, lying about the Torah, misrepresenting Torah. Chazal say three. They don't say four. So the truth is, there are a number of other examples that various Chachamim have added to this list. The Gemara says, better to throw yourself into a burning, flaming furnace rather than embarrass somebody else. So is, uh, is that true? Is, is, is the Rishonim asks this question, is that a fourth of era, that, that you have to give up your life rather than embarrass somebody? Some say, some say it's not really a halacha. It's, it, it, it's just a midrashic kind of exaggeration, but it's, it's not really a halacha. Other, others say it's included in murder. Embarrassing somebody is like murdering him. So in Echanami it's included, but it's, it's one of the same three. There are a handful of other examples where the uh, various posts can have suggested are, are actually Yaharik Valyavar, even though they're not among the three. Among these three, Marshal seems to have added Zia Fatara. Rav Schlesinger challenges him in saying, Chazal said three, they didn't say more than three. How do you have the right to make up such a chiddush, he says. He says, uh, why is it a chil Hashem? The, the, the Gentile doesn't know he's being lied to. Where, where's the chil Hashem? What, what, what's the... Pashas, you say that the misrepresenting Torah itself is a chil Hashem, whether he knows or not. The misrepresenting Torah is inherently a chil Hashem. Okay, so Schlesinger challenges the, the whole marshal. He doesn't think it's... Uh, he doesn't think that, 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 that there's enough basis for this. It's against the, 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 the standard rule, only three of Eretz, Yahari Val Yavar. What's the source of the marshal? The source is from a, an Agadic Gemaran Bavakama, from, from, from a historic account of Romans visiting the Chachmei Yisrael. We don't learn halacha from stories. We don't learn halacha from Agadah. There are famous rules in the Talmud, in the Yushalmi, that we, we don't learn halacha from Agadah. We don't learn halacha from stories. The truth is, it's one of these rules that's double-edged. He himself agrees that some posts can say we do, if the story clearly has a, if, if the story clearly has a, a halachic aspect to it. In many cases, we do. So posts can go back and forth. There certainly are many cases where posts can do try to derive halacha from, from anecdote and from story and from agada. And so he goes back and forth on this. Did you really have the right to derive such a, such a uh, great chiddush, such a, such a tremendous, tremendous principle, a tremendous uh, principle of such great import? You have to give up your life rather than Zayef Torah. Can you really infer it just from the story of the Gemara? It's not even Mucha from the story, he says, because Tosfos had two pshatim. According to one pshat of Tosfos, the Romans were in Gzeiramu. The Romans said, we demand. You're not being given choices here. According to the other story, the Romans passed themselves off as Gairus candidates. So, that, so according to that pshat, there, 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 there was no threat at all. Nobody was threatening. This wasn't an official demand. It was simply uh, they snuck in and they tried to learn some Torah. So they didn't know they were being, uh, that, that this was an official, uh, official inquisition of the Torah. So, so, so who said that Tarzatos would agree that it's, that it's Yahari Val Yavar? So Schlesinger argues that the, that the Marshal's proofs are, are equivocal, that they're not muchach, and it's a great chiddush. One of the, one of the, then the, Schlesinger then goes back and forth, and he, uh, he goes back and forth on whether we accept this point of the Marshal or not. Do we really accept this, this tremendous chiddush of the Marshal that it's that, that Ziyaf HaTorah? And one of the, one of the proofs he brings... This is, this is one of the things I started thinking about, wondering if anybody's going to make this point. So one of the points he makes is from a very famous Gemara that we study often on Tisha B'av, and that is the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, one of the most famous stories in the Talmud about the Churban. The story goes that, that there was a man who had a friend named Kamsa and an enemy named Bar Kamsa. He invited Kamsa to the meal. The, the invitation was misdelivered to Bar Kamsa. Bar Kamsa came. Kamsa threw him out. Barakamsa begged, I'm sorry, the, 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 the host threw him out. Barakamsa came, the host threw him out. Barakamsa begged to be let, allowed to stay. He would pay a great amount of money to avoid the humiliation of being ejected from the party. He didn't listen. The host threw him out anyway. Barakamsa was so bitter and so enraged. The Chum were there. The Chum didn't protest. They were all complicit. So he went and decided on a diabolical plot to get them in trouble with the Romans. He told the Romans, the Jews are rebelling. Roman says, prove it. 
He said, I'll prove it. Here's a demonstration. Send them a carbon. See if they're makrav. The Allah says, you're allowed to makrav carbonus from Goyim. The Romans knew that, presumably. So the Romans sent a carbon. Barkamsa made a secret mum in the carbon that the Romans wouldn't even realize was a mum. They didn't consider it a mum. For them, it's not considered a mum. And then the Jews were in a uh, terrible quandary. They, they weren't sure what to do. Should we bring the carbon anyway to, to appease the Romans? The, Rabbi Zechariah ben Afkula said, well, that will lead to a misconstruction of the halacha. People will think Balei Mum can be brought on them as back. So they suggested, people suggested, uh, okay, so we can't, if we don't bring it and we send it back to Rome, we're really going to be in trouble. So they said, okay, let's kill this guy. Let's, let, 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 let's kill Barkamsa and kill the... Let's, let, let's, let, 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 let's kill Barkamsa to suppress the whole thing, so to cover up the whole thing. But Zechariah ben Afkula said, we can't do that because people are going to say, that the, people are going to misunderstand the story. They're going to say, someone who puts a mum in a carbon, in a car, in a carbon it's a capital offense, and he gets killed. So therefore, they did nothing. They didn't bring the carbon. They didn't kill Barkamsa, and that led to the Chorban, the Gemara says. So the Achronim ask. The halacha, is not a, the halacha is not a suicide pact. The, the halacha doesn't say that because of these concerns of mum b'kadshim and of people are going to misunderstand the, the, the law about mum, why did they have to bring the whole korban about because of that? So, yeah, there's a concern people will make a mistake about the halacha. Because of that, they, they, they risked the wrath of the Roman government. The Romans were not tolerant. The Romans were not uh, gracious people. What do they think was going to happen if they sent this guy back to... They're willing to kill him. They obviously understood that before Zechariah ben Afkula stepped in with his concern, they're willing to kill him. They understood perfectly well that, that this person was a, was, was a danger to the, to the Jewish people. And they, they let him go because, because people are going to say, people are going to misunderstand the halacha and they're going to think we killed him because he made a mum in Karbanos. So because of that misunderstanding of the halacha, we, we allow him to go and bring about the korban. What is that all about? Says Rav Schlesinger, maybe that's a riot to the marshal, that Ziyaf Atar is Yaharik Val Yavar, that it, 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 even though here it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't even Ziyaf, we, we weren't going to tell people Matlum B'Kachim Yaharik, but if we kill him, we're opening ourselves up to a misunderstanding. That itself is Yaharik Val Yavar. We can't act in a way that will cause the Torah to be misconstrued. That's the most terrible thing in the world. And that itself is Yaharik Val Yavar. And that's why Rav Zechari Ben Afkula said, we can't do it, we can't kill him, even if it risks the Chorban. We can't do it because Ziyaf HaTorah is Yehari Val Yafah. So maybe that Gemara is a proof, he says, maybe that Gemara is a support for the Marshal, that Ziyaf HaTorah is indeed Yehari Val Yavar. Says, says the Rosh Lezinger, no, that Gemara is rather equivocal, he says, because he says, yeah, what, what happened in that Gemara? Rizkari Ben Afkula says, we're not going to kill him because, the, because that will lead to a Ziyaf HaTorah. Says the says of Schlesinger, was he right? Was retirement of Kulis correct? The, the Gemara goes on to say, the, the, Gemara, the last line of the story is that Amr Rabbi Yochanan and the Sanusho of Zechariah of Kulis, his Anava, it's a curious word, Anava, but his, his indecisiveness, his, uh, his, his course of action, Hachrivas Beisenu brought about the Chorban, Vesarfas Hechaleinu. And it caused the burning of the base of Mikdash, when it caused the Gullus. That sounds like the Gemara is criticizing. The last word is given to a, to a critique of Rav Zechariah ben Afkulis. He was wrong. They, they should have killed him. So the... He's wrong. They should have killed him. So Schlesinger says that... Uh, Schlesinger says that... Why learn from Zechariah ben Afkulis? Learn from Maskana the Gemara. The Gemara says he was clearly wrong. So the Gemara holds it's not correct that they, that they should have killed him because because, and Rav Schlesinger points out, Magen Avram makes this point already. Magen Avram, the great uh, the great classic commentary on Arachayim, on, on the, Shul- the Magen Avram makes this point. He says that we're allowed to be Mishana the Din Machmas Emas Malchus if we're concerned of the if, if we if we're concerned about danger from the government. We're scared of the government. We're allowed to Mishanah the Din. We're allowed to engage in what seems to be Ziyaf Torah. Not actually the Magen of Ram's Lashon. The Magen of Ram's Lashon is we're allowed to be over in Avera because of Amos Malchus. Again, it's not clear what the Ramah means, what the Magen of Ram means. If it's really Bikok Nefesh, of course you can do an Avera for Bikok Nefesh. I mean, we know that halacha. But anyway, that's what the Magen of Ram says. He says you're allowed to do an Avera for Amos Malchus. And one of his riots is the story of Barkamsa. That the, one of the riots is the story of Barkamsa, meaning that Rosh understands the Magen of Ram to mean that the. 
that they could have been Mizayif the Torah, they, they, they could have done whatever they had to do. And uh, even though ideally we would, we would not misrepresent the Torah, but if you have to do it, because of Amos Malchus, you worried about the Roman, uh, about the Roman reaction, you're allowed to do it. So the Maskana of the Gemara is, they should have killed the Shliach. And the Allah is not like Zechariah ibn Afkulis. The Allah is, even though there's, there's, there's a concern for Ziyaf Torah, that's, uh, that's a luxury that we don't have when we're faced with Amos Malchus. So the... So Schlesinger says, he goes back and forth and back and forth, and ultimately says, Marshal's din of Starchi and Gadol. On the one hand, the Marshal was not challenged, nobody directly challenged the, the, the Marshal for, that, for hundreds of years. On the other hand, it wasn't codified in the Shulchan Aruch. His basis is somewhat dubious and, and debatable, and there are, there are arguments for or against. So it's a tremendous, tremendous chiddush. We're not, he's not sure if we paskin like it, and that is really the bottom line of Rosh Lezinger. He just adds one final thing. He says, going back to the specific case that, that, that you asked me about the Leiva Ivri, where I wrote that Christianity, Shituf, is not a problem for Christians. So you told me that the Mil Tzedakah and the Shari Ephraim, you told me in the various Akronim said, it is a Vodazar, it's not what the Roma means, and, and it absolutely is a Vodazar. You're right, he says, the Akronim do say that. However, other Akronim disagree. The Olas Tamid, one of the great early Polish postkim, said that the Magad of Ram did mean, the, the Ramah did mean that. The Ramah did mean that it's not a Vodazar. The Shach is mashim like that, he said. Dark Moshe, that, that the Shach brings is mashim like that, he said. That the, so there is some support in the postkim for the, there is some support in the postkim for, for, the, for, the, for the opposing view as well, for the view that, it, that it's indeed not a Vodazar. So now we said it's Machlok's postkim. Some say that Christianity is, is a Vodazar for Christians, some say it isn't. Now, so admittedly, for PR purposes, I want to write, I want to take the position that is more palatable to my Christian friends. Can I do that? Zia Fatara, let's say we accept, let's say we assume Zia Fatara is not acceptable. This is not Zia Fatara. I'm simply choosing which side to, to, to mention in my, haska, in, in my introduction. I'm simply focusing on one side and ignoring the other side. That, he says, is mutter. That's not Zia Fatara. Zia Fatara is if the halacha is black and white and I misrepresent the halacha, that's Zia Fatara. If I simply choose to highlight one view and to ignore the opposing view, even if the opposing view is the mainstream view, says Rosh Schlesinger or Chiddush, even if we accept the Marshal's opposition to Zia Fatara, mentioning a, a one out of two views, even if it's a minority view, he says, you're allowed to do that. He makes a very interesting analogy. He says, just like in Chosh and Mishpat, in civil law, the halacha is that even if the majority of posts can side with the plaintiff, if a minority opinion is on the side of the defendant, the defendant can say, Kimli, possession is nine-tenths of the law. If you want to be mochi mumin from me, the burden of proof is on you. If I have even a, a minority opinion on my side, then you, you have to establish that the law is against me. If I have some support in halacha, you can't be mochi money from me. It's a vastly complicated doctrine. There are all kinds of exceptions and qualifications to that, but there is such a principle in halacha that even a minority view is sufficient to block Basin from forcing the defendant to pay. Says the Rosh Schlesinger, a very interesting analogy. The same thing applies to Ziafatara. Ziafatara only applies when it's black and white. If there is an opinion that says what I said, I'm allowed to simply state that opinion, even if it's a minority opinion, he says. Even if it's not the halacha, he says. doesn't matter. Since there is such an opinion, it no longer constitutes Ziafatara. Okay, so the bottom line is, we have this great, great chiddush of the marshal, that Ziafatara, misrepresenting Torah, Ziharik Valyavar, it's the, the Marshal was a tremendously important authority, but it wasn't actually codified by, this halacha was not codified, not by the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah, not by the major Nosei Kalim on the Shulchan Aruch. It was, uh, didn't, it was never really discussed much. There are a couple of earlier chuvas, the Adelio, blah, blah, there are a couple of earlier chuvas that discuss it, but not many. Until the, about 100 years ago, Ramosha Feinstein has some chuvas in which he discusses it. We have the story I mentioned earlier of Ramosha. It has some discussion in the in has some discussion in the in the in, in the in the twentieth century. It's not clear if it's la halacha. It's not clear. Ramosha is, is, is apparently said it's not la halacha. Rav Schlesinger is is, is 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 tempted to say it's not la halacha. He's not sure. Again, the 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 the, the marshal the marshal was a the. the the marshal was, was, was a tremendously important and influential Akron, so without seeing a clear rejection of his position by earlier Akron, it's difficult to just say we don't pass him like it, but that's the bottom line. He never really had much traction in halacha, and, and contemporary postkin, postkin of the last century, debate whether it is halacha. I'll just close by one final point about this marshal. So we have the, 
we have the, the Lorenzes. We have Rav Shlomo Zalman Lorenz, and we have his son, uh, I forget the son's name, the, the author of the Mishnah's Pikuach Nefesh, the, the, his son wrote, wrote a sefer on Pikuach Nefesh. Both of them discuss this marshal, and they both discuss it in the context of the story of the Bar Kamsa Gemara as well. So Rav Shlomo Lorenz, the father, a well-known, pu- prominent public figure and Talmud Chacham in Eretz Yisrael, Rav Shlomo Lorenz tells the following story. He says that this idea to, to explain the sheet of Rabbi Zechariah ben Afkulis, based on the marshal, that at least Rabbi Zechariah ben Afkulis had like the marshal, he had a number of different shatim, what the machlokis was, what, what Rabbi Zechariah held, what the Chacham held, but he says this basic idea, which, again, we, we sort of Schlesinger already brought up, this basic idea to say that the Pshatter of Zechariah ben Afkulis was based on the marshal, the Ziyaf Torah, you have to risk your life to preserve the integrity of the Torah, he says, this, this came to me in an interesting conversation, he said, that he had with Rav Hutner. In, in, around the year Tufshin Lamed Hay, around the year 1975, when there was a question of land for peace, giving back uh, territory to the Arabs to achieve peace, assuming one believed that it was possible. Obviously, part of the debate is a factual debate. Will that actually increase peace? But let's say you assume it will. Let's say you assume that, let's say you assume that it will create peace. Is that a good enough reason? It, does that mean we have to give back the land? Should we give back the land? Can we give back the land? Rav Hutner, he reports, said... We cannot give back land. Because giving back a chalik of Eretz Yisrael, he says, that, is, that constitutes a hodah and a haskama that these are the borders of Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is a smaller country than it could be. And that, that the, real, the real borders are not the true borders. We're accepting other borders. That, is, that violates the marshal of Ziyaf Torah, misrepresenting a, a, a Torah principle which includes the borders of Eretz Yisrael is Ziyaf Torah. And therefore, it is absolutely not something we can do. It's uh, Ziyaf Torah is absolutely unacceptable. So he says, I asked Rafutner if I could express my view. He allowed me to speak, and I said that I don't think this is really Ziyaf Torah because if we make a land for peace deal, we're not saying that this is the true border of Eretz Yisrael. We lay claim to the whole Eretz Yisrael. We're saying, as, as a pragmatic concession, for the sake of peace, we're, we're, we're giving you back some land. But we're not denying the truth of the Torah that greater Israel is all part of Israel. So why is that Ziyaf Atari, he says? We're just practically making a concession for peace. That's what I told Rafutner, he says. Rafutner did not agree with me. He, he rejected what I said. And I told him that many times, he, Rav Lorenz was close to Rav Shach, he said many times that I heard from Rav Shach that for the sake of peace, it's mutter, and uh, we should. Rav Shach was more pragmatic. We should, give, we should be prepared to give back land if we think it'll make peace even up to half of Eretz Yisrael. But anyway, he says that this was the first time he heard of this marshal. It was brought, it brought to his attention by Rav Hutner in the context of the highly charged debate about giving back land for peace. At that time, it occurred to me that we can use the marshal to explain Rav Zachary ben Afkulis in, in Gittin. He on that we shall merit the Gula soon, we shall have back Eretz Yisrael the way it's supposed to be, and that we shall not be forced uh, into these terrible situations of being compelled to... Uh, being put in the terrible situation of being compelled to Mizayev Torah in order to avoid uh, mortal peril.